I am a grateful follower and believer of Jesus. I am grateful that he has helped me in recovering from a long period of despair and hopelessness in my life. And I am also incredibly grateful that he continues to help me with some other issues that I, I need to deal with. One of which is I'm stubborn and it comes out of pride. And I, I, that's something I'm working on with God's help. My name is Jonathan. Well, it's good to see your faces tonight. Let's just start with a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here together this evening. We pray that over the next few minutes as I teach, that your Holy Spirit will guide me. Uh, I pray that everything I say and do will be pleasing in your sight. I pray for Will as he completes the teaching tonight with a song. And we just pray, Lord, that you will work through all of this and uh, touch all of our hearts and minds to live our lives more fully for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the subject is turn. And have you ever gotten lost? I, I remember this was before GPS. Janet and I were driving somewhere and we had perfectly good maps and map books. Because I'm stubborn, I decided I would figure it out without the maps. And we managed to go down some country roads and down some other country roads and turned here and turned there and came to some dead ends and turned around. And we finally got to a place where we were, even I admitted that I was totally lost. And I remember Janet asking with a somewhat sarcastic tone in her voice, do you think we should consult a map now? And so when I admitted that I was lost, we consulted the map. And we found our way out of the place we were in. And it was, there's a couple of things from that story that are true. Thinking I know what's going on and where I'm going and what is actually happening could be two completely different things. You've probably noticed that in your own life. And secondly, having the right resources available, making good choices, using those resources, and then taking action on them can help me resolve problems. And that's true for you as well, isn't it? Have you noticed? And so I believe that that's a very simple explanation of what's important for you and me to do if we want to be successful in our walk with God, in our recovery, in other things. So notice that one of the things that really got in my way in that was my stubbornness. Now, I'm pretty sure that if I did a poll in this room, I would find at least one other stubborn person. And as I look at all of you, you know who you are. Right? Right? Okay. So step two reminds us, or step three rather, reminds us that we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. So if I turn over my life and say, God, this is all yours, but I have my own willpower, my own stubbornness in the way, it's not complete. That's an important part. We made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. And the scripture is, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay about turning sort of my mind over to God and maybe my heart and my, my whole body, like all of, all of my physical stuff and my emotional body and all of that. We don't like to do that sometimes, have you noticed? So just like I decided to turn my navigational focus to the map instead of to my own will, when you and I are desiring to get on the road to our recovery and we find ourselves at a dead end, we need to remember that God 
the one who made you, by the way, who knows more about you than you know about yourself, just in case you were wondering, he sustains us. He knows the best way for us far better than you and I can figure it out on our own. And he's the one to whom we should turn. So when we talk about turning, the first step is we have to turn towards God. So there are four key points I want to just uh, bring up tonight around this issue of turning. I guarantee you that while working these action steps takes some effort, that if you follow these four steps, and I'm going to be as clear and blunt and short as I can be on this, you'll find that you're progressing in the correct direction. One little reminder here. It took you your whole life to get to the state you're in right now. Did it not? So do you think it might take just a couple of minutes or a day or two or a month or three or a year to turn the corner and get where you want to go? So let's have realistic expectations. Yes, some parts of our recovery go quickly, but others seem minuscule. It's like three and a half steps forward and three steps backwards. But if you can look back and say, I'm in a different place and a better place than I was five years ago, you're making progress. So action step number one, you have to make a conscious decision. You need to decide. And by the way, when I did that, can you read that? In the back screen, it's not, it's hard to read. On my computer, it was so bright, it's good. So you need to make a conscious decision. You need to decide to turn it over to God. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a pretty simple statement, isn't it? It is a formula for your salvation. Now, I notice that a lot of people make this really, really hard. Now, does that mean that all the sanctification is done? No, not at all. But that's the first step. But notice that our stubborn, willful minds can sometimes slow us down. Also notice that the Apostle Paul didn't write, Never ever make a mistake, sin, screw up, get angry, have a slip, or be imperfect, or you're damned to hell. He said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the expectation is this, if you read the scripture around it, that there is a transformation that begins to take place. It's not a one-step thing. It's a continual process. And so there's a certain amount of patience that's required from each one of us. So our Christian faith, unlike most other faiths, is not about your perfection or mine, about you never ever erring or sinning or making a mistake. If so, it would mean that you and I were doomed to eternal damnation. Our Christian walk is based on a much more powerful concept, and that is that God, knowing the hopelessness of our condition and the depravity of each one of us, is capable of, that he knows what we're capable of, and knowing our proneness to sin and error, sent his son Jesus to become a man, yet without sin, not only to set an example, but to take our punishment upon himself. That's a pretty major thing, isn't it? In fact, it's, it's one of the most incredible things we'll ever think about. And as Paul writes, all we need to do is confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that he's risen and we are saved. In John 
one, in First John, there's another promise related to this, and this is one that you are all familiar with. We just read it a while ago. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, you might say, well, Jonathan, I want to believe all of that. But I don't know, did Jesus really die from the dead? That seems pretty miraculous and, and way out there somewhere. And I've thought that too in the past. But let me remind you that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after his resurrection, who recognized him. Many of these same people saw him buried. They saw him crucified. They saw him die. And there are skeptical scientists and scholars who've researched this and written long and detailed books about the evidence for the resurrection. There's a, there's a great Christian apologist, a writer, Gary Habermas, who has spent his whole career, more than 30 years, studying this. He's just finished an 800 and some page book about the evidence for the resurrection. It's not for the faint of heart. It's a big, thick, scholarly book. But he takes evidence not only from Scripture, but from from people who were historians at the time, not even followers of Christ, who believed that the resurrection took place. You could also read the work of people like Lee Strobel and others. If you need to strengthen your belief, it's okay to do that. But what I'm saying, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. By the way, if you need to strengthen your faith more, and you don't want to read a book. There's lots of things, Gary Habermas, Lee Strobel, others on YouTube. And I know a lot of you like going YouTube on your phone or your iPad or your computer, so do that. One of the problems for those of us in recovery, by the way, is that we can complain, doubt, and deny something, but we sometimes get stuck in the process of actually following the evidence, reading the books, watching the YouTubes, because we're too busy chasing an MAA, MMA fight or watching Downton Abbey or reading Harlequin romances. No, none of you would ever do that, I'm sure. But you know what I'm saying. Getting sidetracked into things that are not helpful. So the first thing that you want to do is to decide intelligently, follow the evidence and then you can believe and turn towards Jesus. Action step number two. Remember, you can't get unstuck without seeking out help and support. This is not a solitary process. Your recovery is not something you can do alone. I'm not the only one in here who can say honestly that I tried to do things on my own for a long time. Anybody else? Yeah. If you try to do it on your own, uh, how, did, how well did that work? Probably not very well. So we need help and support. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. I love the CSB. Know him. Some other scriptures might say, translations acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. So there's a process here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust your own understanding. Instead, get to know him, that's the Lord, and he'll make your path straight. He'll help you in your recovery. Quit trying to do it on your own. Get some help, first of all, from the Lord. And secondly, 
get some help from accountability partners, friends, other people in recovery. And what a wonderful promise this scripture is. It's a warning too. When you decide to turn to the Lord, you've got to begin trusting him. I spent a very long time relying on my own understanding, which was pretty shallow. It was like a puddle and not a very deep one. And it didn't work out very well at all for me. Do you want to straighten out the road ahead? Do you want to see clearly down the road? Then start trusting in God. King Solomon says in the passage from Proverbs that we just read, that when we put our trust in the Lord, it will actually straighten the path we're on. It's like turning on the GPS and going, but the voice that's there in the GPS or the sense you get or the feeling or what you see is the Lord's guidance, not your own. So how does God help you on this path? Because I've heard lots of people say, well, yeah, I pray and pray and pray and I don't hear anything. It's like God isn't answering. Well, God answers us in a lot of different ways. One is through the word, the Bible, and it's one of the ways. And I remember uh, asking someone if they read their Bible. This was somebody here in this church, by the way, who's been a Christian for many years. He said, well, I have a Bible, I have a couple Bibles, but I'm not much of a reader. That's why I come to church. So there's a problem there, I would say, not reading the Bible. Another issue with that, I don't think I even have this thing. I mean, some people think, well, I have a Bible, so I'll hold it to my forehead like, you know, like uh, I'm a, some sort of a psychic and just go, Whoa, there it's all coming in. Well, you actually have to read it. Pick it up, read it, underline it, highlight it. Ask yourself, what does this have to do with me? How do I apply it in my life? What do I get out of this? If you're confused, ask somebody, pick up a commentary, you know, go online. There's all kinds of stuff to help with that. In a similar manner, the word, like I said to the psychic, it's, it, the word of God is unlikely to help you if you don't read it, think about it, speak it aloud. Janet's talked about that in here many times. Read it aloud, pray it. That's very important. Make it part of your spiritual DNA. How much time do you spend, you know, going through social media, going through YouTube videos, watching TikToks of cute kittens? Well, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that, but how much time in comparison do you spend literally ingesting and beginning to, to get that DNA of the scripture into your system? A friend of mine here at church told me yesterday, I was talking just before the service, and he said he read his Bible for years before he actually made an effort to think carefully about what he was reading and say, how does this pertain to my life? How do I apply it in my life? Some of you would know him. And he said it made a huge difference in his own personal recovery. Another way God helps you make your path straight is through others who love the Lord. That's why we say, go to a step study, take, go to a Bible study, have uh, participate in share groups here, uh, have coffee with a brother or sister in Christ to chat about things that you're reading or a book that you're sharing together. I know some of you do that already. Uh, have people in your life who help hold you accountable. So accountability partners or a sponsor. All of these and more are vital, are vital for keeping you moving in the right direction. Have you noticed that these are action steps that require action? 
That's why they're called action steps. Next action, three, be willing to change direction and then actually do it. I should have had a Nike slash on the back of this. Be willing, just do it. Be willing to take action, to change direction. Changing direction is what repentance is all about, isn't it? Repentance means that we have a conscious change of heart. I don't like the way I've, I'm going. I'm not willing to keep going in the direction I've been going. It's painful. It's damaging to me. It's damaging to my loved ones. It's destroying my life. So God, not only do I confess it to you, confession is the first step, but the next step is, so I'm going to turn in a different direction. And I'm going to do whatever I can with God's help to go in that direction. It's an acknowledgement that what you've been doing isn't working. We ask God for forgiveness. We ask him for guidance through this. And it sounds so easy in words, doesn't it? But interestingly, this is where many of us get sidetracked. Maybe none of you, but I know I have in the past. It's pride and stubbornness that gets in the way, and that keeps us sick and stuck. Sick and stuck is not a good place to be, as you've probably noticed. Sometimes we want to be right rather than content and joyful in our lives. And you know, I'm different. It won't work for me. I can't do this. So maybe you've tried to do it all on your own and on your own terms. Well, how well has that worked out for you? Probably not very well. As Carolyn mentioned two weeks ago in her sanity lesson, honesty is a huge component of our recovery. She talked about that at some length. And we need to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with others. And we need to be honest with God. To Almighty God, the one who created us and knows us better than we know ourselves. And somebody said to me one time, well, why do I have to be honest with God? He already knows. He wants you to acknowledge that you, he that you know that he knows and that you can't hide it from him. Repentance is also about our relationships with others. If I'm not honest with myself or with my family, friends, and support system, I not only sabotage my own recovery, I sabotage those who want to encourage and help me and love me. And for any of you who have been in recovery for any period of time, you know that it's not a solitary thing. If you're struggling, the people who love you are struggling too. Your family, your friends, your employer, your employees, you know, your next door neighbor, whoever is impacted by it. So lying or holding back is, to my mind, one of the most destructive things you can do in any relationship with God or another person and with yourself. So whether you're lying to your friends, your siblings, your parents, your children, to a stranger or to the Lord, you are delaying and sabotaging your own recovery. Proverbs 12, 19 and verse 22 tell us that truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. Lying lips in the CSB, it says, are detestable. In the ESV, it says an abomination, which is also a powerful word. So lying lips are detestable or an abomination to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Just getting in the habit of telling the truth, even if it hurts, even if it causes you pain or causes others pain, is a, an important first step in your recovery. So step up, 
Step up. Stop lying to yourself and to others. Start telling the truth and change direction as you turn towards Jesus and your healing. This is a huge step in getting your life turned around. In fact, this is the most important action you can take in your life, turning towards Jesus. Well, what stops us from repenting? It's a very familiar one. Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. I don't need to talk much about that, do I? As Dr. Phil says, how's it working for you? Should have worn my cowboy boots. When you turn in the direction of Jesus and let him run the show, your recovery will improve. I notice I didn't say it goes from zero to a thousand. It improves. Our walk with God is something that is a lifelong pursuit. Next, action step four. Build and strengthen your relationship with Jesus. When I was a teenager, I felt really gawky and awkward. Sometimes I still do as a, as a grown man, but I don't worry about it like I did then. I was socially a bit shy. I didn't have any real confidence in myself. And I, I had some friends, but I was pretty stuck with the same small group. And then I met this fellow, Robert. Uh, he was a couple of years older than me. He was working. Interesting guy. And we had some interests about books and music and stuff like that. And he reached out to me in friendship, sort of like a mentor for a couple of years. He encouraged my guitar playing and singing, my writing. I went to movies with him or out for pizza. And I remember I was telling Will today, one time Robert and I went out and ate three. We went to a movie, then we went out and we had three medium pizzas and then went to a donut shop and ate a dozen donuts. I think I was 19. I feel sick thinking about it. But we talked about life. We talked about girls. We talked about God. We talked about just life stuff, important things. And he took the first step in the relationship and the friendship that we had. And that was important because I just didn't seem able to do so. Like Robert did for me, Jesus took the step, first step towards your relationship and mine with him. And that first step wasn't just a social nicety, let's go out for coffee. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, expressed it very succinctly in 5, 6 to 8. I don't have this on a slide. You're all very familiar with this, but I'm going to... If you're in my class here in the South Sanctuary yesterday morning, I use the same scripture. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't that seem like the ultimate reaching out? That we were lost in sin, struggling, terrible. In fact, in some ways, adversaries of the Lord. And yet, he reached out for us. Christ died for us and rose again. Jesus also expressed this very clearly through his own words and actions that he wants to be in a relationship with you and me. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. They, that's us, all of us, the sheep. I am the good shepherd, said Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
And I always think it's so wonderful that Scripture so often refers to us humans as sheep because sheep are kind of stupid. And don't take it personally, but we're all kind of stupid when it comes to our relationship with God. And sheep are also ruminators. That means that they have a second or third stomach, and so they eat something and then they belch it up and they chew on it again, they ruminate. It's like you and me with ideas and bad thoughts and stuff that gets us all messed up. Something happened yesterday, last week, last year, five years ago, and everything's going okay. You know, you're, you're doing all right. And then you start thinking about it again. You chew on it. You put your head in your hands and chew. That's ruminating. We're sheep, but we have a good shepherd who loves us. And Jesus has paid the ultimate price for the relationship with us. Are you willing to do your part? Remember, relationships are a two-way street. So Jesus died on the cross, rose. He stands there with open arms, with his hands. When we repent, we turn towards him. But he's not a bully. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to harass you. He's not going to stalk you. He will, however, offer to help and guide you, but you first have to turn towards him, take his hands that he is offering in help. And that's a decision only you can make. And if you haven't made that decision, I would encourage you to do so. Speak to Janet, to me, to one of the share group leaders, another Christian brother or sister, because we can't do that for you. So let's review the four action steps. First of all, you have to make a conscious decision to do it. Secondly, you need to get some help and support. And you do that through reading your Bible, through having, by the way, I'd add, go to church. I know sometimes people go to church and they say, oh, it's sort of boring and I don't like the music or whatever. Make it a habit anyway. Find a church, go, go. Because I didn't always like going to church either and now it's a highlight of my week. I do believe that there are times, oh, and be willing to change, get started, build a relationship with Jesus. I've talked about all of these things. I do believe that there are times in our lives that God intervenes in, his, in remarkable ways, and there are times that the change is slow. It seems really slow in our eyes. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, I was stuck in this terrible situation, and I had this moment of clarity. It was, it was like God spoke with a loud voice, and my life was transformed in that moment. I would say that's not how most transformation takes place. Remember Woody Allen, uh, the, the writer and comedian, said that 99% uh, of success is just showing up. And I think for you and me in recovery, showing up, just doing the work, tedious as it can be sometimes, is a very important part of it. Know that God is working in your life sometimes even when you can't see it. I have some questions for share group. Take a picture if you need to. Am I willing to get started? Why or why not? That's on the action steps. And what am I committed to doing this week? One thing, just one thing. We're gonna end things a little differently tonight. Um, Will had an experience several years ago that was a, turning point at that point for him. 
was an encounter. He may say something about it, I don't know. I asked him to sing the song for us tonight. It was a song he wrote about that event. And uh, he'll say whatever he'd like to about it. I'll have the slides up on the screen. Come on, Will. It's all yours. Good evening. I'm not really going to say anything. I think the song uh, explains itself, so to speak. It's called Riverside. with me everywhere 
shepherd will shine the fair light of his face. All sorrow and sighing undone. Thank you.